0: As we're just grabbing the Bibles, I'm going to pray over us, so if you guys would just join me um, in prayer, just right now together. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for, God, your word in this day that we get to share in. God, we thank you for those who have been uh, fathers to us in our lives, whether it's been our fathers, our grandfathers, or whether it's just been men, um, Lord, who have listened to you in our lives and um, have answered the call to reveal just the Father's love. God, we know that we can celebrate people's efforts today, but ultimately, Lord, through Jesus, you revealed that you're our Father. Lord, you're a Father that's never going to fail us, and you're a Father that's never going to leave us. So, Lord, we want to discover and live under that, Dad. And so we thank you for today, and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. Um, Go ahead and open to Daniel chapter 1 if you haven't yet. We've been—if uh, you remember—just last week we we opened up and we began a new series going through the book of Daniel, and Daniel is one of the—I would just say—it's one of the most interesting books of the entire Bible for many reasons. One um, is that it's where it begins and where it takes place, as we talked about last week, is in kind of—I would say—even a post-kind of Christian culture where there was a point where Israel was this nation, but because of its sin, that it had been exiled into this wicked empire called Babylon, a lot of people actually would compare just the movement of that nation, um, a lot to where we're kind of at even today. Because there was a lot of questions about where was God in the midst of the people because of what was going on. And believe it or not, About 10 to 15 years ago, whether it was in just culture, whether it was in schools, whether it was in government, social, just kind of celebrities, uh, Hollywood, it was the cool thing to be a Christian. But culture over time has changed in such a way where many would consider being a Christian and following Jesus as the minority. And in the same way, that can cause people to question, even in the same way, where is God? Well, it looks like it's going backwards, not necessarily forward forward. Those have been a lot of the same questions people like Daniel that we look at and his friends might be asking because of the changes in the culture. But even as we mentioned that this is a book about God being the king of heaven and earth and that nations come and go, but God remains forever in it. And even in the midst of a culture that's changing, there was a man and there was a group of men who didn't change because of who they stood on and because of the kingdom that they themselves served. And so... I want to I look at one specific passage in Daniel chapter 1. We're going to reread a few of the same verses, but a lot of the verses are going to be different. And if you look in verse 3, we pick up right after where they've been exiled from the nation of Israel. And this is what it says about them in Babylon. Verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the noble family, Um, And the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service." Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. And if you remember, we talked about this last week. One of the things that Babylon did, um, one of the reasons why it was one of the fastest growing empires in world history, might I remind you, is because of the way that it treated the people and the nations that it took over. See, they were clever in what they did. They didn't necessarily put them into harsh slavery, they didn't whip them over the back and make them work 13 to 15 hours a day until they broke their spirit. But what they did was they invited them in to become a part of the culture. They showed them how lavish and luxurious their life was. And what it would even say here is that they ate at the king's table. So they were eating some of the best food in the world. Amen? Does that sound... How many of you love your food in here? Oh, yeah. You can take my house. You can take my car. You can take my family. But don't touch my food. Amen? Amen. And that's where you see they go straight for the food when it comes to them and it comes to their life. But then it continues on. it says, but Daniel. Everybody say, but. Yeah. Gotcha. But Daniel resolves not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. What that means is this. In Jewish culture, they had rules about, they had dietary restrictions about what to eat and what not to eat. And so that's what it was saying. It wasn't saying that the food was unhealthy or not FDA-approved or anything of that nature. So it says the chief official, or, sorry, it says now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Basically what he says is this. Look, I'm cool with what you eat, but I'm called to train you up to make you presentable to the king. And if you're not, they're literally going to murder him because of how wicked the empire was. And so... He says, why should, I do the, why should I risk my own life because you don't like to eat some vegetables, amen? Or you don't like to eat some meat. And what it says then is that Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food, And treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. And at the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. What a surprise. Vegetables are good for you. Amen. So the guard took away their choice food. Yes. Their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his the service, which was three years, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king. He is the ruler of Babylon. And so their three years of training, their three years of, of eating and being indoctrinated and into the culture is up. And here is their presentation before them. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus, which was 65 years later. Can we say amen to God's word? So when you look at this culture and you see that after the three years they were trained up, that they, they were chosen, to, they ate what they ate, and that when they were presented that they were found to be better than all the other young men of the day. And because of that, because of that favor that wasn't just from Nebuchadnezzar, but that favor from God, might I remind you, allowed them to have a place within the, one of the highest governments of that day and age. But also, might I note you... One of the most wicked governments. That even in the most wicked, darkest places, here is God working and opening doors for men like Daniel and his friends to be able to come in and shine a light and to reveal who the Lord was. And you know, when you read this chapter, it takes place over a three-year period. There isn't one major event that defines it, but rather it's a summation of a lifestyle It's a summation of a decision and habits that they made. And that this chapter and this story, when you look at Daniel's life, it sets the precedent and it sets the stage for everything that God is about to do. Because when you look at the story of Daniel and you look at all the incredible things that God did through him, whether it was revealing dreams or visions, whether it was speaking matters of wisdom to the king, whether it was giving glory to God, whether it was praying to God, whether it was staying faithful to God when going into the lion's den, you see these incredible things happening, but it all has to start with this. And it's important to look at that because it's fascinating that God would start with vegetables, amen? It's interesting that God would start with something like your diet, which can just seem silly. Because following and seeing Jesus work in your own life, how many of you want to see God work in your life? How many of you want to see God work through you? How many of you want to know God more intimately? How many of you want to have peace? How many of you want to have assurance and confidence of who God is in your life? Because in the same way that God did that through Daniel, He's doing it through you and desires that for you just as much as you desire it for yourself. But something interesting about God is that God doesn't just start with the big things. He starts with the little things. He starts with the daily consistent things. And oftentimes, more than not, Following and seeing Jesus isn't just in the big things, but it's in the little day-to-day consistent habits and patterns that make up your life. Keith, one of our pastors on staff here, said a couple weeks ago, he said, first you make your habits, and then your habits make you. If you want to learn what someone is about, look at the things that they do consistently in their life. Look at the things that seem to repeat in their life. Doesn't necessarily define them, but if you want to know what your heart's about, if you want to know what's important to you, look at the things that happen as a pattern in your life, amen. You'll learn a lot because everybody is destined to succeed and fail at times, but it's the things that you do consistently that give light to what you believe in, gives light to what you give your time to, gives light to ultimately what you put your hope in as well, amen. See, it's interesting because when you're talking about something like food, can everybody say food? Food is defined as any nutritional substance that people or animals eat or drink in order to maintain life, but it's also meant to grow as well. Food is one of the most interesting unifiers, I think, in humanity, in our world, and in our universe. Because no matter you know, who a person is or who a person isn't, no matter what their background we share all these common traits of humanity. We have these needs. And one of them is food. You can't just stop eating, no matter if you've been eating your whole life. It's something that you've got to continue to do. You need water, amen? Some more than others. And in that, it's interesting enough because when you look at something like God's Word, which is what I want to talk about this morning, because it's not just a matter of, feeding on physical food because God has created this world in such a way that when you see physical things, it gives light to something greater. Because in the same way that we're to feed on physical food to maintain ourselves, but also to grow healthy and to grow strong, in the same way we were made to feed on God's word in order to maintain ourselves, but also to grow strong in the Lord as well. Amen? I think if you're talking about God's word, how many of you have ever heard of God's word before? There is a reason why when we we come forward and whatever we do that, we start with this right here, that we never neglect this. We don't go around this word because truly it is the Lord's word and it's, it's what our faith is built on. And in that, I would just say there are so many things that are said about God's word. Many things that you've heard from pastors, leaders, friends, parents, school, culture, you name it, but... I think when it comes to it, probably one of the best places to start with talking about God's Word or listening to who says about it is probably Jesus, amen? Like, if you're going to hear someone's personal kind of point about something when it comes to the Word, I think Jesus would probably do a lot better than maybe one of us, right? Amen? That would be, it'd be like an example of if you wanted to learn about basketball, you wouldn't talk to Daniel Esborg, Amen? But if Michael Jordan walked through your door, you would probably listen to him before your grandma, amen? you probably because of what they know and what they've done of the sport. But in the same way, when Jesus walks in and when Jesus talks about God's word, it's the same thing as well. It's probably when God starts talking about it, we should probably listen up, amen? Because it's probably pretty important. And one of the things that God says... Jesus would say this in Deuteronomy 8.3. He would actually quote what God said to Moses. Is that he says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He would equate God's word to bread. He would look at it in the same way that it's like food for your soul. That the word isn't just something necessarily that we, we know. It's not just something that you memorize. It's not just something that you check off a box for. But it's truly, it's food. It's food for your soul. It's something that you absolutely need. It's something that you cannot lack in in your own life. In the same way with food, it's not something that's intended to take days off. Sure, you can go without eating for an entire day, but that usually doesn't work well, amen? How many of you have had to go days without eating food for various reasons? Not very fun, is it? Not very healthy, is it? You're starving, But how many times do we starve ourselves spiritually by not feeding on that same word for days, weeks, and months at a time, not even realizing it, feeding ourselves junk of this world to make place for something that was meant for God in our own heart? You know, there's a pastor, his name's Andy from Eugene Faith Center, and he says something funny. He says, you know, you can live on Doritos, he says, but you ain't going to be very healthy. You're going to be pretty malnourished, but... You'll just make it by. He says, but, that, but what that means is that God has so much more in store for you. Amen? See, some of us are feeding on Doritos in our life. And we think, oh, this tastes amazing. But we're malnourished. We're weak. We're not anything close to what God has in store for us. And he says, if you would just feed on my word, you would realize what I made this word for you would do to you. Amen? And in that... It's interesting because when you look at how Jesus would describe it, he says to feed on it. In fact, in Joshua one seven eight, God Himself would speak on God's on His Word as one. Well. He says to be strong and be very courageous, and I'm going to get back to that first sentence in a second. But it says, "Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave to you." What he's talking about is this. He's talking about the Word of God, and in that he says, "Don't turn from it to the right or to the left." So that you'll be successful wherever you go. And he says, keep it on your lips. He says, meditate on it. Think about it. Let it sit on your heart day and night that you'll be careful to do everything in it. And then it says, then. Everybody say then. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Because isn't it interesting that when God would describe his word, he doesn't say, read the Bible every day. That's not what it says. It says, keep this book on your lips and on your heart. I want you to think about it in your coming and your going. I want you to think about it. I want you to wrestle with it day and night. And it says, and then and only then can you truly be successful in what God's plan is in your life. Because it's impossible to do God's will without God's word. Amen? You need God's word in your life. You were made for God's word. It's not just, oh, you need to do this. It's, no, there's something greater going on with you in your life. It's that you were made to ingest God's Word daily. Amen? It's a correlation between your life and your relationship to the Word. And when we talk about things that we need to feed on, I think God's Word is probably one of the most important. Amen? You know, I think it's interesting looking at this story because Daniel was a man who had a lot of courage. Amen? Amen. And you know what? It takes a lot of courage Natalie, can you put up that first picture? It takes a lot of courage for a man to dive in a den full of those. Amen. Anybody ever seen a lion up close? They're huge. But I would just say this: It takes a lot more courage to dive into a den of ease. these, 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 these. Amen. How many of you would rather go into? A, how many of you would rather go into a lion's den once? For one night, rather than eat vegetables for three years. Absolutely. And this is why. And this is is what I would just say about it as well. Because guess what? Sometimes I think in our culture, it's easier to die for Jesus than to eat for him. I think sometimes in our culture, it's a lot easier to die once for Jesus than to live for him every day. It would be a lot easier to die for the Bible than to read it. I think that's our culture because when it comes to dying and it comes to sacrificing, I think we can do that. I think we're capable of great things. But at the same time, we're also capable of living daily, giving up our time, giving up our hope, giving up our trust, and laying it down at the feet of Jesus and saying, God, what do you have to say through your word through this? God made us to live for him and to live through his word. And that's why... When you look in Joshua 1, 7, the first thing, first thing that God says, he says, be strong and be courageous because it's not just something that happens. It's something that happens with strength and courage that God provides that if you want to have a daily relationship with God's word, you want to spend time with God in his word and let the word read you and shape you and sculpt you and change you into the man or woman that God's called you to be. It takes strength and it takes courage. Amen. That's why it says here in chapter 1 in verse 8, it says Daniel resolved himself. He didn't just happen to not eat the Babylonian food. All right, It says he resolved, and it said he stood, which literally means I'm going to stand and I am going to eat this. And I'm going to make a point of it in my own life. And that same resolve is living within you and me to be able to stand and say I'm going to resolve to live on something like God's word daily in my own life. And so in that, I, I just wanted to just take a moment to talk a little. I want to switch gears a little when, it talk, when you're talking about God's word because I know there's a lot of questions when it comes to what, is, what about the Bible? How do I know I can trust the Bible? How do I know I can really do it? And there are different ways to look at it. There's one way where maybe you live in a society where your teachers openly question and doubt the Bible. And its validity. They say it's, a, it's an ancient book full of lies. That's a real reality for people. Those are real questions. And so there are sometimes when, you know, like people say, How can I trust the Bible's real? And it says, Because the Bible says it's real. And it, it is, but sometimes that can be hard to trust and to grow in that trust. Amen? So I just wanted to look at a couple just things to just kind of even speak to the validity of the Bible because one of the points of it is that the Bible is consisted of 66 different books over a 1,500-year period with 44 different authors on three different continents. Most of those authors didn't know who each other were, but because of God and because of his remaining nature, God remains the same. That's why you don't read about one God in one book and a completely different God in another book because of God's unchanging nature. There are different types of tests. One of them is an internal test. What does the Bible say about itself? Well, the Bible says it's, that, it's, that it's truly God's word. You know, there are books out there that people believe in where the authors of those books don't even believe in it. You know, like the Bible doesn't necessarily do that. But when it comes to external things, I, I just wanted to look at a couple things that can even just a touch base on its validity One of of the biggest arguments that actually, maybe you've heard this one before, is that, you know, it speaks to dates and it speaks to times and it speaks to locations. And archaeology has proven that many of the things are fake in the Bible. Well, Nelson Gluck, everybody say Gluck. Gluck, I'm going to give a second MJ reference. If you're talking about archaeology... This guy is the MJ of archaeology. He's found over 1,500 biblical sites throughout the Bible throughout his life, and he says this quote here. He says, "It may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm and clear outline or exact detail historical statements in the Bible, and by the same token, proper evaluation of biblical descriptions." have often led to amazing discoveries. Basically what he says is there has never been a discovery that's contradicted the Bible. Every discovery that they've made has lined up with it. That is incredible when you're thinking about a book with 66 different lo- books and authors and locations and things like of that nature for it all to be correct. As well when it comes to the validity of it, when you're talking about original manuscripts, people might say, "Well, maybe the Bible was written correctly, but then people how do, what if they changed it over thousands of years? Well, when it comes to original manuscripts of the Bible um, and itself, compared to other things like what Plato or Caesar or Homer's Odyssey, how many of you have ever had to read that for school? That's just as um, that would be put in the same category. Here are the original manuscripts. Plato has 7, Caesar 10, Aristotle 49. Homer's Odyssey is the second uh, most manuscripts for an ancient document at 643. The New Testament, literally eight times as many. And so when your teacher goes, oh, read Homer's Odyssey, it's great. They never question that. But when somebody questions the New Testament and the Bible, it just has just as much just facts to it as well. One of my favorite ways that the Bible would even testify to itself externally is simply this. It's called uh, prophecy. Can you all say prophecy? Prophecy is this idea that there was something inspired of God and a person to say that this is going to happen in the future. The Bible is full of prophecy. There's a lot of prophecy about Jesus. In fact, this is what it would say. A mathematician actually did the work, and it said the odds of eight prophecies being fulfilled— is 1 in 10 to the 17th power, which is basically that many, without any mistake. Now, let me ask, now, before I reveal how many prophecies have been fulfilled in the Bible, I want you to just think, that's 8. How many prophecies have been filled in the Bible? 353 prophecies. None of them have been contradicted. And so that number, that's only to 8. And when you think about 353, that's pretty solid evidence, amen? that the things that the Bible remain true. Now, there are still prophecies that are still unfulfilled about the end times and Jesus coming back, but given that validity, just from statistics alone, shows you that it's true. Now, I want to switch gears back now again to it because we don't believe that it's just an accurate textbook. That's not the only purpose that the Bible serves, but once again, it's truly God's Word that we feed on. It's food. You know you can trust it, So now you can feed on it. Amen? And there are so many deeper things than just acknowledging that it's true. Because it truly is food for your heart. And it is truly something worthy of your daily devotion. Amen? In fact, some of the things that I would just say, God's word is a light unto our feet. It opens our eyes to how God feels about us and the world around us. That when you're spending time in God's word, you're actively hearing daily all the different ways that God loves you. The way that God loves the people around you and what God has in store for this world around you. You know, faith is this idea that God loves you and wants more for you than you could ever imagine. And once you begin to open up God's word, you begin to see that in detail, what he has for you. And when you know that in detail, when you hear God speak to you that way, when he opens your eyes and gives you understanding, it gives you a newfound confidence, you know, I think it's interesting because when you see people who are consistently living in daily's Word, they carry a different confidence about themselves. They carry a different security about themselves, even if people around them are not affirming them in that same way because it's like somebody's been hearing what Jesus thinks about them, and they're carrying that confidence around them. They're not looking for it in the people around them. They're not looking for it in their friends at school. Not looking for it on social media because they're getting that true affirmation from God in his word and that's the affirmation that God wants for us amen in fact what I would also just say is God's word reveals God that's one of the simplest points but one of the most powerful points and I would just say this if you had to reveal everything about yourself let's just say to a people that you didn't know and you sat down and you wrote about 1,300 pages about yourself, about where you've been, how you handled the world around you. How many would get tired after two pages? How many of you would be like, there's not really much else to know about me. But if you really wanted someone to get to know you, where you've been, let's say you begin to write down all these different events of your life. You wrote down of times when you were successful, times when you loved people, times when, you, when things were rough. You write down when times when you had to forgive people, times when you struggled to get to truly know your entire heart. And you wrote 1,300 pages and you gave it to them and they said, Ah, you, we don't know anything about you. And they just threw it behind their head. Would you be like, are you kidding me? But let me ask you something. When God has revealed his story and his heart and his character and where he's come from, in hopes that you would get to know him and to love him. That's the same thing that he does to us and has in hope for us. And so instead of looking at it like it's a, it's a check mark, I need to get this done, what if we looked at it as... God has extended his heart that reveals his heart in detail for us. This is an opportunity to get to know the one true living God and everything that he has in store for us. There is nothing more valuable in this world than this right here. There is no more greater potential for you in your life than knowing this and knowing it, knowing God through it. It's an opportunity is what I would just say if you're willing to take it and you're willing to go after it. In the same way... I would just say, God's word transforms us from the inside out. And when you look back at these verses, that at the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. And that even the king would recognize it. It's this, when you're digesting the word, it transforms you. You look different to the people around you. You begin to change, and you become more like Christ. And even things that you can't even see because you're you, that other people can see in you, you're changing. You're loving more. You're quicker to forgive people. You walk around with a different confidence, and that's because you're hearing what how God feels about you. See, when you're daily and consistently, in God's Word, spending time with Him, it transforms you in the same way that eating a healthy diet... Transforms you physically as well. I'm going to ask Jamie and the team.